the doors of the time machine have opened <gasps> and we have returned. Wow. Wow. Hello. Hi. Hello, time travelers. Oh, my goodness. Uh, for those of you who, who don't know, uh, uh, Veronica and I are time travelers. Yes. So naturally, we skipped the entirety of the year 2020. But it's 2021 now. What did we miss? I I I doubt many many things. Uh, everything yeah, looks very similar. Exactly. In fact, I see that all the movies that were about to come out are still about to come out. So I guess Hollywood waited for us. Ah, thank you so much, James Bond. <laughs> yep. Thank you, James Bond. Thank you, Black Widow. Aww. Thank you all, except for Tom and Jerry, you fucks. How dare you come out before we return? Exactly. God damn it. I will never <laughs> watch another one of these Tom and Jerry's cartoons again. Yeah, that used to be my regular rotation, uh, and I'm just going to stop. Uh, you know what? I'm getting upset. Let's just go to the opening opening theme. <laughs> toot toot. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> Veronica, it had it has been a while. Uh, but by the way, the Veronica I, I'm referring to is uh, Veronica Yurovsky. Hi, and the John that you've been hearing is John Burchat. I don't do. Did we used to introduce each other? I don't know. It's been so long. Yeah, yeah. We didn't do. We did one episode in 2020, and then uh, we took a little hiatus, and then the world took a little hiatus. Exactly. So it's. It's March 2021, and we're, we're back. Uh, Veronica, how, how's the pandemic been for you? Oh, you know. <laughs> uh, I guess considering that I did not get COVID or lose my job, not terrible. Uh, mm. How about yourself? Well, I'm I'm uh, 0 for 1, or 1 for 2. <laughs> 1 for 2. <laughs> I got COVID, but I did keep my job. So uh, we're doing uh, better than most people. Um, uh, in every way except hosting a podcast about going to the movies uh, during a time when there are no movies. Yeah, you would think that the time travel aspect of our podcast would have yeah. made us a pandemic proof. Yet, well, we somehow- actually we traveled to the we traveled to the future and did a bunch of episodes. Then you guys will hear it in about twenty years. Yeah, exactly. L- look out with our hot takes on. You would be surprised. Still, Justice League and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Yep, the fifth in twenty years, the fifteenth cut of uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League is about to come out. He's definitely going to get it right this time. Yes, um, it's going to have anyway. just the right amount of Ayn Randian ideology in it. <laughs> yep, just amount uh, the right amount of spikes on Steppenwolf's costume. <laughs> um, but maybe we'll talk about that in the future. Who knows? Let's oh, well, hope we already not. did. But right now, for those of you who don't know, and uh, you'll be forgiven for not know, because uh, once again, this show hasn't existed for a year. Uh, this is a show where uh, Veronica and I watch the number one movie of the box office, the number one movie uh, that Hollywood released that week on one half of our show. But what are our other episodes about? Well, this is when we, you know, utilize our sturdy time travel device, a machine people would refer to it and we traveled back in time to the exact same week 10 years ago 20 30 40 50 60 that's as far as it takes us and we watched the number one movie in the box office from that week that's right and while while uh, uh we are still in a pandemic and technically we could go to the movies because they are open with 25 percent uh uh 25 percent capacity or something we're not going to do that yet uh no (laughs) veronica and i have no interest in doing that yet but we can still do that second half of our show of looking at a number one movie from the past veronica what year did we travel to today 
Uh, that that's actually a fax that I'm getting. This has nothing to do with this. It's unrelated. Yeah, this is unrelated. Uh, we traveled all the way to 1961 to uh, to feast on uh, I guess 101 Dalmatians, the original animated feature. To feast on 101 one hundred and one Dalmatians spelled out, not the numbers. Oh yeah, yeah. Which uh, if you go on Wikipedia and you try to look for this movie, you better be spelling the number one. Yeah. You you numerical philistines. Unless like the you book want- it's based on. Um, oh yeah, we we usually do some details about the movie, right? Yeah, I guess we can just Who say made it and whatnot. Yeah, who made it? Well, uh, Disney made it. It had three directors, Clyde Geronimi, Hamilton Lusky, and Wolfgang Reitherman, but only one writer, which was not standard for the time for Disney animated features, and it's Bill Pete is the guy who uh, adapted the Dodie Smith novel of the same name. Uh, in the time, it grossed $15 million in the box office that year, which doesn't seem like a lot, but, you know, inflation and stuff, it grossed like a billion dollars. <laughs> it was very successful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was uh, uh, well-regarded at its uh, in its time. And um, here's a fun fact. During one of its re-releases, uh, one of its many re-releases, um, I'm pretty sure this is the very first movie I saw in the theaters. Oh, wow. For me, actually, one of the first movies I remember seeing in theaters is the remake with Glenn Close, 101 Dalmatians, with the numbers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I... I also I remember I remember seeing that film. I also remember having um, stuffed animals. Of uh, my brother and I each had a stuffed animal. He had the chubby one, and I had the one with the patch on its eye. Um, I remember all these things, but I didn't really remember this movie. And maybe that's because it's very boring. Oh, you didn't like it. <laughs> I. Okay, I liked it fine. Why don't we jump right into... I, that's more negative than I actually feel. <laughs> why, why don't we jump right into... Let, let's do our, our, our grade and surprise each other with how we feel. Did we do that at the beginning or the end of episodes? I think we usually do it at the end, but let's not, you know... Let, okay, well... Let, I- let's not hold our cards too close to our chests. Let's, let's reveal sure. those letter grades. <laughs> All right. Uh, three... Two, one, B. go, B. Sorry. <laughs> so, so this is interesting, because I liked it quite a bit, and I gave it a B. You said oh. that you found it boring, and you also gave it a V. I feel like we're grading well, on thing. different things. <laughs> yes, because... So later in the show, as we do with all of our movies from the past, we do a segment where we talk about uh, what things are now dated um, or wouldn't work in modern days. And there are, you know, there are a couple of jokes that we'll discuss later. But the thing that makes it most dated is something that would probably be the case with nearly every movie from 1961 is that it's just paced so differently from any right. movie you'd see today the the opening uh, the opening section is so bereft of incident that and it's like these 10 minute scenes that all take place in like one room that i'm almost like is this fucking animated dalmatian movie based on a play was this a <laughs> stage script that they adapted but I, weirdly enough that's also my favorite chunk of the movie um, but so, I think like, yeah. yeah, another thing contributing to that is probably the fact that the guy who plays Pongo, uh, the, the lead Dalmatian, has such <laughs> a wry, dry delivery. Uh, and I think it does work, but it also kind of lulls you in the sort of like, oh, this is just going to be like a little British movie, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that is Rod <laughs> Taylor, uh, star of The Birds. Oh, um, here, a friend to animals, and in fact, one himself. Um, but yeah, uh, for those of you who don't remember 101 Dalmatians, um, the story is, and I can knock this out in about four sentences. <laughs> um, All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna time you on that, or oh, rather, okay. count you on that. <laughs> 
Um, a couple fall in love uh, thanks to their Dalmatians who have puppies. Um, the what? The wife's school friend, who's a psycho, wants the puppies to make a coat, so she steals them. Two. The uh, the other dogs help the parent dogs find the puppies. They come home. All right, three and four. Good job. <laughs> yeah, and like I, each of those sentences about. 25 minutes of uh, uh, runtime. It's funny, when we decided to this, do this movie, I was like, well, at least it'll be short. And in my mind, I was like, well, this must be like 65 minutes long. But it's a, it's an hour 20. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, while I agree that not a ton happens, <laughs> I, I got to say that there was never a time where I was like bored necessarily. Like, I felt like they didn't really prolong many of the segments and i think i kind of enjoyed the kind of the languid perhaps might not be the right word but like pacing of the movie uh yeah it definitely like when i was watching it i was like yeah if this was a normal like kids disney movie we would a have all sorts of pop music that i no longer recognize in the soundtrack and everything (laughs) would be like edited and like chopped up within an inch of its life and here it really felt like we were kind of like taking our leisurely stroll around Regent Park that is this movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's not even it's not even um the editing it's the it really is the pace because and this this is a movie that ends with a 25 minute chase sequence and i'm still saying (laughs) nothing happens and it's boring but um the one section that i was legitimately bored was the um uh the twilight bark section uh is that the name of their oh yeah where it's just we watch Various dogs communicate with barking. And then really once we get to, uh, we leave the main characters we've met for the first uh, 40 minutes uh, and then just follow these other animals for 20 minutes as they learn the things that we, the audience, already knows. So, like, for example, the cat, the cat thinks that the puppies are in uh, Corel DeVille's house. They are. We know that. We watch the cat go to the house. We then watch the cat crawl through the house. Then the cat meets some Dalmatian puppies. The cat finds out they're not the Dalmatian puppies that he th- is looking for. Then he sees more Dalmatian These puppies. These are not the puppies you're looking for. Yeah. I recently <laughs> watched the Star Wars movie. <laughs> for the first time? Well, I've seen The Empire Strikes Back. I think this is actually from a different movie. But yes, for the first time. <laughs> wow, we'll talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, then he sees the Dalmatian puppies he is looking for. We know that the right ones. He doesn't. So we then watch him count them because he needs to make sure they're 15. We watch this for about three minutes of business. And then the burglars chase him. And it's just like you could have you re- like no modern movie would keep every step of that. Right. I mean, there is very boring. There is a very indulgent amount of counting of puppies because it happens multiple times in this movie (laughs) that the puppies get counted. I will say that to, um, I guess, to kind of defend that sequence, I will say that in the background of that sequence is one of my favorite parts of the movie, which is like this weird reality show where like there's this apparently they like okay, bring out I a, criminals I, a, that, I want to talk about that as well <laughs> what so what this is the show that the two burglars who kidnapped our dog are the puppies uh, are watching yes uh, what is the show veronica well the show is basically uh, as far as i could surmise is that uh, the police brings out a criminal and there's a panel or maybe just one person i forget who is trying to get what the crime of this criminal is and if they guess correctly i guess the criminal goes free it's not entirely clear but they don't and so the criminal has to go back to prison yeah it's called what's my crime it is a parody of the uh, contemporaneous show what's my line where people guess someone's job a show that's yes. been remade a show that's been remade in various versions for many decades but the weird thing is it's this so it's this weird, like, dystopian parody where 
uh, uh, criminals are mocked on television f- by high society people for the entertainment of the audience. And the weird thing is, there is, does seem to be an undercurrent throughout this movie, and it's 1961, so it's understandable, about making fun of television. Mm-hmm. But this is the only time they parrot, like, early, the other jokes are just how much, like, all the puppies act like human children, and how much the puppies love TV. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine to a 1961 audience, they're like, yeah, fucking kids, they fucking love TV, it's so stupid. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, the other times we see them watching, they're not parody TV shows. So we have this, like, two minute skit of yeah. this. <laughs> Like this TV show that really feels like it belongs in Paul Verhoeven's RoboCop <laughs> more than it belongs in this movie. It's so strange. It's the only time this movie is this movie is just like let's do parodies. Unless, I mean, honestly, unless there's a bunch of other stuff in this movie that is parodying uh, uh, stuff from 1961 that I just don't get. I just don't even recognize as parody. Yes, I recognize the like the tonally it might not work, but. I also really loved it. <laughs> I was oh, like, it was this fun. Is, it was fun. It's just so weird. weird and fun. I did not expect <laughs> like a cartoon from the early '60s to have sort of commentary on game shows and <laughs> on like you know the predecessors of reality television. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think that like I I don't know if they were going for weird satire as much as they were just like, well, what TV would the criminals like to watch? Oh, what's a game show, but for criminals. And I think that might have been the end of the thought process that led to Perhaps, that show. But still, it works. <laughs> but there is, like, there is other stuff. It's funny, I, um, I was reading a plot synopsis of the book, and I have, um, by the end, uh, before we end, uh, I want to discuss the sequel to the book, which is my favorite, uh, weird true fact that I know, uh, <laughs> irregardless of this podcast. I love to share this weird fact that I learned years ago. But, uh, I was looking at the book to see how much they condensed it. And, like, there's, like, a lot of the stuff makes sense to cut. Like, there are two maternal dogs in the book, but there's also, oh, yeah. like, way more. It sounds like way more action and characters kind of like the book. There's a bunch of stuff that the the writer of the movie covered the book where I'm like, that would have been fun. They should have done that. (laughs) But I will say that I I keep complaining about the the slow pace, but I was in love with the first 20 minutes before we get the puppies. Like, I'm not the target audience, so I'm just going to say fuck the puppies. I don't care. They're all (laughs) replaceable. But. I was super into rom-com starring two humans and two dogs. I really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, no, I thought it was so sweet. It's just like, also the animation style, I really like. And apparently it's come as sort of a compromise and a cost-cutting measure to uh, animate the way that they did where you can still like see the pencil lines and stuff. Because uh, they use some Xerox machines to sort of... Uh, uh, I guess, like, speed up the coloring process. But uh, I actually really, really dug it. I Yeah, it was just, like, it was fun to live in this, like, early London world. It was fun to listen to this, like, fun jazz music and, like, hang out with these people. Yeah, I agree. It also had the, had the most jokes. Uh, the animation thing you're talking about, so this was during a huge financial slump uh, uh, for the Walt Disney Animation Studio, so much so that they almost closed the animation studio, uh, one of a few times in the company's history that they did it. Um, and uh, you can te- for this movie, this was the first one, and a few after it, they used this technique of Xeroxing, but the Xerox couldn't... Uh, uh, didn't necessitate ink, uh, inking, which was a long process of inking the characters. Mm-hmm. But instead, so you see the pencil outlines of all the characters. And I think like Jungle Book has it as well, maybe Robin Hood. Yeah, um, and I think they also used it in Sleeping Beauty, which is where they came up with the idea. But it's only in the backgrounds of Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, that they do it, that. for the thorns. Yeah. Um, but that being said, while it does have this like cheaper outlining, uh, the art is fantastic. This is like my favorite like Disney character design of this period. I yeah. love the way the humans look. Um, yeah. uh, the main characters down to uh, 
the live-in cook that this financially strapped family has somehow. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, like, they have a maid, even though s- multiple times in the movie it says how cash-strapped they are. And and also, I mean, I don't know how expensive the area around Regent Park in London was at the time, but it also seems like they live in, like, a very nice townhouse with, like, multiple stories. So, you know, this is kind of maybe their version of the friend's apartment. <laughs> well, I, I... So, in the book, um, in the book, Roger, the human man, <laughs> the human man... <laughs> I want to, when every movie I'm talking about, introduce characters as the human man. The uh, human Roger, man. Yeah, Roger, the human man, um, in the uh, the original book is, uh, like a uh, 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 an incredibly talented investor. He's a financial whiz. Um, and I <laughs> and think what, this what mo- to better appeal to the kids than to have your lead character yeah. to be a financial <laughs> well, whiz. They, they clearly wanted to um, uh, accentuate the idea that. Uh, that the the characters needed uh, needed money to make them turning down Cruella Deville be a bigger deal, so they mm. changed his job in the movie to being a musician. But the crazy thing is, this is not a musical. And <laughs> goddamn, could this movie have used some songs? He sings two halves of songs, one at the beginning and one at the end. I would have loved some musical numbers in this. Yeah, though I guess. I don't know. I I can't. I I feel like we are used to Disney movies having all these songs, but yet, like, I failed to think of like a moment in this movie that could have like benefited from a song. <laughs> like, there was no point where I was like, you know what? I wish the horse sang. <laughs> I wish it was. Like, <laughs> was well, it? I. Right there, I think that scene with yeah, all the the dogs uh, uh, communicating to each other and doing a chain like that could have been a great song as opposed to just like, all right, now it's this type of British accent. Okay, now it's this type. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like it, musicals. Yeah, I mean, I like them too. I guess I used to love them a lot more than I do now, but I don't know. I really, I think Cruella Deville though as a song is pretty up there in like some of my favorite Disney songs, to be honest. Yeah, so. I just don't know why they don't finish it. I'm also very curious. At the end of the movie, um, the family is rich because off screen, Roger has finally sold a hit song, which is the song he wrote about the woman who's <laughs> friends with his wife, <laughs> who he doesn't like, which is Cruella DeVille. I, I'm just very curious how this becomes a hit in the world of the movie. Um, hmm. But also, uh, I was curious how they... I didn't remember the Glenn Close version, and I was curious how they updated the story for the 90s. And this is... I read the Wikipedia, and it seems very fairly similar, although they clearly added some more characters to give some more action beats. They also really uh, Holmes Alone upped... Holmes Alone-ified the, the slapstick with uh, Cruella DeVille and the... Oh, the yeah, I remember, but- like... Yeah, I remember her, like, I think falling into several bogs <laughs> in the original or in the uh, 96 version. Yeah, there is a lot of uh, falling down and bonking. There is in this as well, but um, I think it's accentuated in that one. But I was curious how, how much they updated it, uh, updated the story. Uh, And the first line of the Wikipedia of the plot synopsis for the remake is American video game designer Roger Dearly lives with his pet Dalmatian. (laughs) Oh, that's right. He makes like a video game that is like at the end or something. Or was it like at the start? He has like a game about Dalmatians, right? I imagine instead of having a hit song at the end, he probably has a hit uh, what year is that? Let's see. What system is he probably working on? Uh, it's 1996. So he, I don't know a, a hit Super Nintendo game, or maybe they got advanced copies of the N64 from Japan. I think that's the year it came out. Um, <laughs> wow. But uh, but yeah. So 
Overall, I mean, overall, I did really like this movie. There was some fun stuff. Um, the opening credits was were animated very in a fun way, um, uh, and did that fun thing where when they show each person's credit, they do it in a way that showcases their job. So when they do the score, they show a um, a composition with Dalmatian spots for nose uh, notes. Ah, oh, that's very sweet. I didn't notice that. I did like the scene where they had, like, the dog owners look like their dogs. That was very cute. And I could have had I, that this is- go for way longer. <laughs> Yeah, this was, uh, so this is the opening section where, um, Pongo, uh, the male dog is trying to find a, uh, spouse for his boring bachelor, uh, pet. Um, cause the animals right. think the humans are pets. Very cute. Although in this world, their pets lock them in rooms, which they can't get out of, which is probably a little confusing for them. But, um, <laughs> he's trying to find a, a wife for, for Roger and he's looking at, at all the women walking by. Um, uh, and they all match their dogs. And I'll be honest, I was really expecting a fat joke, uh, that I was gonna be like, oh, movie. And they never did it. Yeah. They never had, like, a big fat woman, and Pongo goes, ooh, no good. Um, although they did have a, an old woman, and he says, too old for Roger. And then a little girl goes by, and he says, too young. And they held on the little girl, and I was like, cut away. This is gross. <laughs> I, why are you making me consider this Disney character committing pedophilia? <laughs> I think just, they just wanted you to see how cute she was with her, like, popsicle or whatever it is like as she was going along uh yeah so do you wanna i i feel like the one thing that also struck me by like i guess like i wonder this movie is still about skidding puppies and making them into a coat and i feel like it's kind of Odd. I mean, not odd, but surprising that, like, this is, like, a topic that Disney decided to use for a cartoon. I think it's not, mm. like, I don't think that that's, like, taboo, but I think, like, looking back through, like, their canon up to that point, racism aside, like, skinning puppies is sort of, like, the most, like, kind of violent thing that you can, like, see... In their oeuvre, I guess. I suppose. I mean, they've killed many animals. I mean, think about Bambi. Um, yes. And I think... But I, I think, I would... like, the the sort of, like, the cruelty of, like, skinning an animal, which is, like, so, like, uh, pre, I guess, like, premeditated and specific to me. I Yeah, again, I was just like, I thought I found it interesting that that was like a topic that they chose to base the movie around. Not in like a bad way. It was just like interesting to me at the yeah, time. I think I think the tone really saves it. I mean, like, um, I remember as a kid uh, being disturbed by like the scenes from uh, Pinocchio where mm-hmm. the boys turn into donkeys and I don't ever remember being disturbed by Cruella de Vil. I mean, she's such a comic character, and mm. uh, the henchmen are as well. And they get, never get anywhere close to achieving their goal. Right. And I, I wonder if I wonder if how many kids are even uh, cognizant of what she's really planning on doing to the dogs, other than hurting them. And she's a bad, bad. That's fair. Uh, I get that. Um, I guess speaking of Cruella, uh, <laughs> are we going to talk about the Emma Stone elephant in the room? Yeah, let's do that. You know, for all of those kids who, on the other hand, were like, "What is her deal? Why, why does this chain smoking, fur wearing, very bad driving woman? What makes her tick?" Like for all of it's- those. Uh, for all of yep. those people, Disney has decided to, you know, release, give Cruella the Joker tr- treatment, as if we may choose to use those words. Uh, what are yeah, your thoughts our, our- on this project? <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> I mean, um, anyone who wants to know our general thoughts on the uh, live-action Disney films of the past decade, and it has been a decade. The 10th anniversary of Alice in Wonderland came up recently, and it blew my mind. Oh, um, God. Uh, um, but yeah, the trailer for... Oh, if anyone who wants to know our thoughts on that, I just realized I wasn't sure if it was a decade. I think it's a decade. Um uh, if anyone wants to know our thoughts on that whole series, they can listen to the uh, Lion King remake episode of this podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, did Check we like it, it? Did we hate it more than anything on planet Earth? Listen to the episode and find out. <laughs> um, okay, you know what? Everything I said about this movie being boring, I take it back. That movie is boring. <laughs> this movie is a thousand times more exciting than that film. Of course, but, of course. Um, Goes without saying. But um, but yes, uh, about a week and a half ago, the trailer for Cruella, the upcoming prequel story about Cruella DeVille, is coming out. And I – so first off, I don't really like these live-action things. Um, and I just – and I don't really like these needless prequels. And this is a character that – Cruella DeVille is a great villain. But she's like a great villain yeah. that is barely a character. She fits this story because she wants animal fur, but that's basically her entire care, like her entire character. Other than that, she's a great design. She's great animated performance and a great vocal performance. But like, there's not a character there that I would really be in any way interested in following further. And also, she's a monster. Exactly. So that's the thing. Like, I feel like with these prequels, like the one that they did did for Maleficent, it was uh, Mm -hmm. very much in like, let's humanize this villain. Like she was actually like misunderstood and all of that. And she was actually the one who was wronged by Michelle Pfeiffer or whoever. Uh, And it's like... Do we need the puppy killing and skinning woman to, like, be humanized? Like, why can't she live as this, like, villain that we're content with just being a villain without having to give her, like, some sob story or some, like, external explanation as to, like, why she is the way she is? I don't know. It just feels, like, so unnecessary. Um, Yeah, I'll I'll say this. I guess that would be my take on it. Yeah, compared to um, compared to sexy young Willy Wonka prequel that is also currently being made, <laughs> I find the Cruella prequel. I dread the Cruella prequel less because I can so easily imagine what the Willy Wonka prequel is going to be, and I hate it. Um, whereas the Cruella prequel, I just have no idea what like what to do with that idea that there's a possibility that whoever got stuck with coming up with it came up with something interesting but i just the only thing i can think of is yeah. i imagine they'll go back to the idea from the barely touched upon idea from the book and this movie that she and um uh the main human woman who's anita uh, she and Anita are school yeah. friends, which I <laughs> in the in the uh, live action Glenn Close one, uh, Cruella Deville is Anita's boss. She's an an older right. wealthy woman. Yes. Where in this one, they're supposed to be like college friends, and that intrigues me because I'm just like, what was that friend group? Yeah, so I, it seems like that uh, that character is not. I'm looking at through the cast list right now as far no as it was Anita? revealed and. Like, there is an Anita, but she's like the second to last person in a list of, let's see, uh, like eight or nine people. So it feels like there's like Emma Thompson. It's not going to be like a wicked like, type thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. It seems like it's going to be something about Emma Thompson and being mean to her, which like led her to down the path of like puppy killing at a certain point. Like farther down the line, I don't know. I like Emma. Tom- uh, I like Emma Thompson. I love Emma Stone, or rather, I love Emma Thompson and like Emma Stone. And uh, <laughs> so, I have like no issue with them getting work or like being cast in this movie. But I just, I don't know. I wish they had done something else. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you bring up um, Maleficent, and it's like Maleficent's the all we know about Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty is that she's evil and she hates the the denizens of this kingdom. You can make a backstory right. of why she hates the denizens of this kingdom. It's much harder to like make a backstory to explain I like fur. That's just not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not a character trait that that wants to be elaborated upon. The number of things that would make you rethink the way that you perceive Cruella Deville after what you know about her is so slim. Like it, like in the sense of like, oh yeah, she was actually like she she was justified killing these puppies. Like she, like I don't know that there's like a scenario that could come up here uh, that would do that. Which is, I guess, why I'm slightly interested in what they come up with. Like you are, because I'm like this should be interesting or like if disney is actually gonna go the way of just like having a very unlikable protagonist and actually like the villain of the piece is gonna be like you know their lead character which could be interesting i suppose but but seems unlikely for disney yeah even then if she is just like it's just a fun movie following a bad person which like sure maybe but even then, like, what does she do? Because in this movie, yeah. she's already, her goal is already to kill puppies. Where do you go from there? Yeah. She wants a, a human baby hat? <laughs> Maybe this is actually what the marketing department of this movie is banking on. Us being like, well, we can't, we can't imagine what this could possibly be. So we must go see it for ourselves. Yeah, what I just don't, what I don't want, God, I don't know, maybe it's a, I, I, I really, I'm so, like, maybe it's a Sweeney Todd type thing, where she has to compete with Emma Thompson's character, and then realizes only the murder of more and more exquisite animals will help her win in the fur trade, I don't... Uh, I mean, <laughs> that could be fun, I suppose... But, like, Disney's not releasing that movie. No, for sure. Where it's, like, Emma Stone, like, blowing away elephants. (laughs) Yes. Uh, All right. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Maybe take our time machine into the future and see how this whole Cruella thing is being sussed out. I just got back. I just got back uh, from uh, later. Yeah. It's not very good. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess um, to cap off our uh, discussion of uh, this movie, uh, to our final segment or our final segment of this segment is, ooh, this would not fly today, John. <laughs> um. Uh. Uh. Well, don't forget, I have one other thing I want to say about this movie. Well, kind of, not really, but we'll do this first. All right. <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah. The only things. Uh, really the only one that really um, hit me. I mean, like, there's, like, a, a, a truck, a, a lorry. Sorry, it's London. A lorry <laughs> driver yells woman driver at Cruella DeVille. And I'm sure, like, watching it now, you're just like, yeah, there's a guy in the 60s who sees a woman driving crazy. But that might have been, like, more of a joke at the time. I don't know. But the mm-hmm. one line that hit me as, like, a, ugh, was uh, when uh, the maid goes to pick something up under a table and um i forget the maid's name but a pongo is narrating and he's like that's the maid she's great and she gets down gets down under the table he's like she's even kind of she's pretty canine sometimes and i'm like ugh, gross (laughs) (laughs) comparing the hired help to a dog because they they get down on their hands and knees was just a little a little icky for me it's either that or he's like actually calling her a bitch in a weird way. <laughs> like, I don't p- think that's it. I do in not. a G-rated way. <laughs> Let me have this, John. <laughs> All right. Well, what her is character your, is what is such your, a bitch. The rest of it. What is your Did final you, what, final thought? Was there anything thought? else you noticed? Uh, I'm trying to think about it. The woman driver, I think, was the one that you know got me the most. Probably, yeah. 
Yeah, but I, I would say, I don't know about you, but I, both of these things felt pretty, uh, for, for a 1961, uh, film, uh, pretty tame in yeah, the, for sure. uh, in the problematic thing. So good I mean, on you, yeah. 101 Dalmatians. I mean, from the <laughs> you studio. You won't be pulled from Disney Plus anytime soon. Yeah, from the studio who brought you jive talking, uh, vultures and, you know, the movie that shall not be named, which is Songs of the <laughs> South. You know, this is very, 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 very tame stuff. Um, all right. My one, my one 101 Dalmatians fact, because I love to talk about Everett. Did you oh, yes. know? So you know that it's based on a book, right? Yes. Uh, by Dodie Smith, The 101 Dalmatians. Uh, much better title. Oh, of course. Clearly. Not, not um, just your everyday 101 yeah, Dalmatians. Yeah. The. Did you know? That uh, that book had a sequel. Uh, was it called 102 Dalmatians or 101 Dalmatians 2? No. Uh, while the live action <laughs> film from the 90s had a 102 Dalmatians sequel, it did not follow the plot, shockingly enough, of The Starlight bar- Barking, um, oh. the sequel book. Um, they might have decided that, uh, that would be a bad idea, because the plot of the Starlight Barking is fucking insane. <laughs> um, this is, uh, for the most part, the 101 Dalmatians is a pretty faithful adaptation of the 101 Dalmatians. But the sequel book went very, di- is very <laughs> weird and different. So, um, the plot of this, uh, briefly, is that, um, the dogs, all the happy dogs are living together and they wake up one day to find out that all the living things on planet Earth, except for dogs, are, uh, <laughs> are asleep. <Oof>. Wait. <laughs> are you asleep? Um, wait, first, Wait, what the one morning the dogs find all other living things besides dogs all other dogs yeah, all other living things besides dogs cannot uh are asleep and can't be woken up. Also, all the dogs are no longer hungry, thirsty, or weak at all. Um they're like, Who's doing this? It's probably Cruella de Deville. But they go check on her. She's asleep too. <laughs> what could possibly be the cause of everything alive on planet Earth other than dogs falling asleep? Well, obviously, the answer is dog aliens. Dog <laughs> aliens that come from what? Sirius, the lord of the dog star. And they appear <laughs> in Trafalgar Square <laughs> to talk to our heroes. Wow. And they explain that they have been monitoring planet Earth and they have come to the uh, realization that humanity is going to kill itself with nuclear weapons. (laughs) And since dogs are smarter than humans, um, the dogs from space offer our heroes a voyage to their much safer planet beyond the stars, away from the evil humans. But... Pongo and Perdita and all the all the puppies love their pets so much and think that humanity will learn better and be better than their worst instincts and won't have nuclear war. So they decide to stay. The end. Wow. That's the sequel to 101 Dalmatians. That is definitely <laughs> whiplash inducing. <laughs> <laughs> I so wish. Can you imagine after this movie that has a 10-minute sequence of dogs just watching the television, the sequel is fucking space aliens flying down? I mean, yeah, this is like... I wonder if it's one of those things where the author was like, well, I had a great like success with this 101 Dalmatians instead of just writing this new idea that I have. How about I like shoehorn it into the universe of this other book? Well, she, the- she wanted, so Dodie Smith, this is very different from like, uh, uh, the author of Mary Poppins, um, whose name I forget, uh, but who famously did not want Mary Poppins adapted by Disney. Yes. Uh, Dodie Smith, upon the publication of the first book really hoped uh, and was thrilled uh, when uh, Walt Disney came uh, calling. Um, she really wanted them to adapt it. And she also hoped that the sequel would be adapted. Did not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I, I, I'm guessing she just was a strong anti-nuclear weapon um, ac- uh, uh, activist. And um, she was like, well, I this my microphone is the 101 Dalmatian series. So I am going to use it. <laughs> 
to uh, speak my truth. And you know what? Good for her. I suppose so. I feel like, you know, <laughs> it is definitely a surprise. <laughs> Um, another surprise, uh, I learned this researching today, that um, 101 Dalmatians Broadway musical is supposed to come out later this year. So Boo. get excited for whatever that's going to be. Um, f- I will f- I'll finally get my uh, Dalmatian musical numbers. Wow. Okay. Moving uh, away. What's up next on the show, Veronica? Uh, it's uh, a segment we like to call Things Are Happening, <laughs> uh, which is when we talk about things that are happening in the world that that is of movies. And It's been a while. Was that the name of the segment? Did this I don't segment know. have a name? I just made it up. <laughs> I like that name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Things are happening. Um, uh, the big movie news, of course, today was the Oscar nominations. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Veronica, I believe you had some thoughts. I do have some thoughts. I guess, like, primarily, like, I would say that this year has been... For all, I mean, you can't nominate them all. Someone is always going to be disappointed with some aspects of the, you know, the list of nominees. But I would say this year has been surprisingly pretty diverse and pretty good slate of nominees, I would say. So that's like actually like my first major surprise. Perhaps this is due to the fact that like the movies that did end up coming out were these like lower budget indies like whose distributors did not want to keep them on the shelves for that much longer and just like decided to release them all so we got like a great slate of for the most part of best picture nominees we have the father which i've not seen uh, we have judas and the black messiah which is great mank which is hollywood so it has to get nominated minari which is like <laughs> wow that's from a big fincher fan yeah, I I did not appreciate Mike, to be honest. <laughs> Minari, which is great. Like, Minari broke a bunch of records with its nomination and uh, Steven Yuen, who got nominated as well for Best Actor. Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, all three of these are great. The Trial of the Chicago 7, which is another more, like, oscar Beatty thing. But that's the list, and that's a pretty solid list for Oscars. It... You know, considering the years that we've got, you know, the Green Book and its ilk uh, in the list. So that was really good. I mean, you're looking. Would you say any of them are the the Green Book of this year? I mean, um, I I have a lot of mixed feelings about the trial of Chicago 7, but. And I, I know a lot of people who hate who really hate it mostly for for uh, uh, the politics of the movie, basically. Um, uh, Aaron Sorkin uh, re- rewriting uh, leftist politics of the past to be mouthpiece for Clintonian uh, centrist liberalism. Right. Um, but I definitely, I mean, I never saw a Green Book, and uh, I imagine that the you know Sorkin has his flaws, and Sorkin has his uh, his pros and his cons, and I imagine the trial of. No offense, Bobby or Peter Faley, whichever directed that movie. Um, <laughs> I think it's Peter. <laughs> but I, I'm going to imagine that the trial of the Chicago Seven was much more entertaining than uh, Green Book because it was a you know the trial of uh, uh, Chicago Seven was very entertaining. Right. I thought it was very well done. It had like all the requisite Sorkinisms, but it felt like this is the kind of material that would benefit from that more as opposed to like something like Molly's game, which I thought was very awful. So I, I mean, I think like, (laughs) I like Molly's game. (laughs) Oh God. I think like, uh, you know, it's a warranted, uh, nomination for best adapted screenplay for sure. Would I have rather seen something else instead of the trial of Chicago seven in this list? Of course, but, uh, you know, you can't win them all. And I think, like, out of a slate that includes, like, Sound of Metal, which is pretty dope. Like, that movie, a movie that barely anyone has seen, but has, like, such exquisite, like, use of sound in it, you know, appropriately enough. And, like, some amazing performances. I mean, that is pretty great. Promising Young Woman, like, 
a revenge fantasy uh, about like you know statutory or not statutory but date rape like I don't know like this is a pretty diverse list of uh, nominees that is pretty I would say pretty solid definitely like one of the best lights we've seen uh, like, I guess I guess Mank is probably going to become because every Oscar ra- uh, every Oscar Best Picture race has to have a villain and I guess I guess Mank is actually as the front runner. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, that everyone knows that Oscars loves movies about the movies. So, I mean, it's definitely one of those, especially a movie about a movie that the Oscars famously did not really care for at the time that it was released. So, you know, it could be, I guess, a potential to correct something. But I, I don't know. I actually, I think this is going to be Nomad Lands to lose. Mm-hmm. I think like yeah, it said- has all the buzz. Yeah, when I said front front runner, I guess I meant more um, the Oscars gonna Oscar, uh, right? Like, like that's the most Oscars gonna Oscar movie, exactly. Um, but I was like, I, I'm talking about this. Um, uh, you said you wanted to talk uh, the Oscar nominations, and I said you should uh, run the segment because um, I'll I'll just say it right now. On uh, during the pandemic, I didn't watch any like barely <laughs> any any movies. Um, I I'm one of those people. Anytime I sat down, I was like, time to watch uh, uh, Nomadland, time to watch Minari. Um, I was just like, you know what? Um, uh, I can't do this right now. I am going to watch a video of a roller coaster on YouTube for the (laughs) 300th time. Um, So I've only seen three of these movies, uh, Trial of Chicago 7, uh, Promising Young Woman, and uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, oh. and I, I want to get to the others, but I'm still, I, I'm coming out of, um, pandemic mode. I think I can handle actual, uh, actual dramas and stuff now, but I, I'm, yeah. I'm getting there. I mean, I would say out of, I, so I've seen all the ones you've mentioned and I've seen Mank, uh, Sound of Metal and Nomadland. And I, I can't say that any of them are, like supremely depressing (laughs) i would say like i mean judas and the black messiah to me is probably the saddest of these movies because i don't know maybe it's because it's sort of like still reminds us where we're at politically which is basically (laughs) somewhat at the same place which is very sad uh but yeah i thought like uh, those movies that seem like they would be terribly sad and depressing are actually less so, and they have a lot of like uplifting stuff going on within them that are really. I think all of these movies. Well, perhaps I can't talk about the father, but I feel like all of these movies are kind of worth your time and are not like, you know, super depressing yeah. homework movies. Uh, I should. Watch- I- oh, go ahead. Oh yeah, I, I was just—I was just gonna say I watched uh, um, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah the night before I watched the um, uh, Wandavision finale, <laughs> uh, which made uh, that like that one part at the ending where they're like, "Oh, this law law enforcement agency was bad. Let's call in the good guys at the good FBI who are gonna <laughs> solve everything." Really, really made that moment stand out. <laughs> oh God, I have not reached that point yet. She just had a baby where I'm watching. So, you know, looking forward to the good it's FBI. Very, it is. That's not a major plot point. It's a literally like a line someone says to just clean up like that stuff's handled up over there. <laughs> uh, OK, so I just quickly just uh, other highlights that I've noticed. Uh, so best director has two women in it in the category which is has never happened before uh and that's pretty dope chloe xiao i think is also the first woman of color nominated for best director which is pretty great and she's a front runner which is even better thomas vintenberg got nominated for another round which is this very good mads mickelson movie about men in their uh middle age who are trying to deal with just you know the fact that they're aging and are less relevant by basically drinking every day. <laughs> and it's more poignant, but yet still funny. And yeah, I would really recommend that. And it was a great surprise to see him there. And it's definitely justified. He directed Mads Mikkelsen dancing 
<laughs> which is an accomplishment in and of itself. Riz Ahmed is the first, uh, I think, I've, uh, Arab uh, actor nominated for Best Actor, which is also uh, like a great thing, as is Stephen Yuen, a Yuen who is like the first Asian uh, actor nominated. So Is that true? Uh, for lead actor, I believe it is. Wow. Um, no one got nominated from Parasite? Uh, no. I don't... N- wow. No one got nominated. Oh, Riz Ahmed is the first Muslim. Uh, sorry. Uh, let's see. What else? What else? We have... Any exciting stuff? Oh, Best Supporting Actress, Maria Bakalova for Borat, <laughs> the subsequent movie film, which... I mean... This would be the thing that would delight me the most, I think, if she was. <laughs> yeah, so- I, that's, that's, uh, I was able to handle that movie um, <laughs> this year. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I was positive. I was like, okay, well, she's got the Golden Globe because uh, they have their comedy category. She'll be fine there. But I was worried that the Oscars would pass her up. I'm very happy that she got nominated. I mean, she is so great in it. That movie was as intense to watch as any other movie that I've seen last year or this year. When did this come out? I don't know. (laughs) It came out. uh, It was a surprise release the night of one of the uh, presidential debates. I think maybe the vice presidential election. Of course. I know because I was I was working. Uh, I was working. uh, The show I work on had a. Uh, a late night uh, episode for the debate. And so I actually watched it at like 4 a.m. when it came out or something. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, Borat, apparently fun Borat fact is that uh, the only other movie and its sequel to both get get screenwriting nominations at the Oscars is our Borat and Borat 2 and The Godfather, the Godfather? and The Godfather 2. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty funny. Uh, that is so funny. I also love that they're like a 13 people nominated for Borat 2. <laughs> I know. Because the writing team is so big. <laughs> I mean, as I mean, that would be pretty funny if they actually managed to have this in person and this movie somehow manages to win <laughs> and they somehow managed to bring all of those people on stage. That would be great. If Borat <laughs> 2 won Best Adapted Screenplay, I mean, partially this is because I haven't seen a lot of the other movies, but yeah, I'd love that. That'd be fun. That would be great. I mean, I feel like we all know that like the Oscars have issues with awarding comedy uh, movies, uh, so maybe this would be the thing that would break that spell. Um, let's see. I think it'd be the thing to unite the country. Exactly. I mean, we can all unite in saying that Rudy Giuliani is a fucking creep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would I would jump all the way down to I guess uh uh to celebrate the nomination of Husavik from Eurovision Song Contest colon the Story of Fire Saga <laughs> being nominated for best song <laughs> which You know what? I never saw that. Should I have seen that? It's a very sweet and cute movie. You should go into it not expecting much, and hopefully you will enjoy it. It has some fun and catchy songs that might fill in the hole that 101 Dalmatians left in your heart. (laughs) It has some fun Europop songs, and I feel like those people sincerely love the Eurovision Song Contest, and it's kind of like fun to watch. You know, celebrating this weird institution that exists for some reason. Uh, okay. And All right. Lastly, I will point out my biggest disappointment of mm. this list is the fact that The World of Tomorrow 3 is not nominated for Best Animated Short. Oh my god, I didn't check. Yeah. Isn't that messed up? Oh. I'm stunned. Well, I still, the fact that the first part didn't win, uh, yeah. lost to something about a bear making a watch or something, I forget. Um, Important I was stuff. So, <laughs> I was so fucking upset when that didn't win. I love, um, you know, fuck it, the next, the next couple minutes is just about the world of tomorrow. Uh, what was your <laughs> thought about, thoughts about part three? Oh, I really loved it. I, I, I definitely, 
was slightly disappointed by the second one, but only mm-hmm. to the extent of just like, oh, because the first one was so, so good and it was like impossible to surpass. And I definitely think that the third one was a step up from the second one. And I also spent a ton of money on the Kickstarter of Don Hertzfeld for the Blu-ray. <laughs> and I expect to get my... uh uh, a bunch of prints that I got with my Blu-ray soon, hopefully. <laughs> well, um, uh, we don't need to continue this segment because literally everything you just said applies for me as well. <laughs> I like the first one the most. I was disappointed by the second. The third one was great. Not as good as the first one, but uh, still great. Excited to, to see him continue the series. And I also spent a lot of money on that Kickstarter. Okay. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Moving so yeah. on. Uh, moving um, on, our final, final segment for real is the one where we tell you what else we've been watching and you should watch as well if you want to have a conversation with us, IRL. Sure. I guess anything we talked glowingly uh, about during that last segment also counts as a recommendation. That's true. Um, but for mine, I went for, I'm going to go do a quick, a quick little roundup of things I watched during the pandemic, some old, some new, that I enjoyed. Um, I finally watched the Planet of the Apes trilogy from last decade. I thought it was really good. Um, I didn't rewatch the first one, which was the only one I've seen, and it's supposed to be the the least good. Uh, but I loved the second one, and I thought the third was great as well. Um, I saw the documentary Feels Good Man. That's uh, great and very sad, um, but also great. Um, I saw the movie Psycho Gorman. Psycho Gorman. Uh <laughs> This is a uh, crazy comedy sci-fi movie um, that basically the premise is uh, it's basically like an Amblin type movie uh, where kids find an alien. But instead of being like an E.T. type, um, he is an evil demon monster who hates everyone and wants to kill all living things. um, And he becomes their friend that also murders a lot of stuff. (laughs) Um, It's not great. Uh, um, no, 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 I, I take that back. I take that back. It's just on the cusp of being truly excellent, like cult film. Um, but I think it's, it strikes such a difficult tone that it kind of wavers a little bit, that it kind of holds it back from being like perfect. But, uh, if any of the, what I said before sounds fun, basically a trauma character stuck in an Amblin movie, if any of that sounds fun to you, you will absolutely have a good time. Uh, give it a try. Um, and uh I also watched all the later uh Nightmare on Elm Street um <laughs> sequels which I hadn't seen. Um a lot of them suck. <laughs> and finally I watched uh, uh a little indie Australian horror movie called Lake Mungo um which is it's an indie horror movie um and all I'll say about it is it is all a long series of buildup for one big scare, um, but that's a pretty damn good one big scare. Uh, <laughs> so if you like that kind of thing, um, it, uh, it, that's a spooky good movie. Uh, check it out. Nice. Uh, well, unlike John, I'm only going to go back one week <laughs> and <laughs> say what I like that I've seen in the past week. Uh, and I guess the first thing that comes to mind is The Red Shoes, uh, which is a movie The Red from- Shoe Diaries with David Duchovny watching softball uh, porn? Uh, a different one. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but- That's a good wreck. Yes, uh, that is always a good wreck. Check out your Skinamax. Uh <laughs> No, it's uh, the 1948 uh, movie about uh, a lady who's a ballet dancer who is torn between the patronage of her uh, ballet director and the love of the music composer for the ballet. Uh, the highlight of that movie, though, is about a 20-minute sequence that shows the titular ballet, The Red Shoes, and it uses... I mean, so many great movie techniques to really enhance that staged production of the ballet. And it's so, so cool, especially like considering the time of when it was made. So definitely a highlight there. 
Uh, I also watched Don't Look Back, the Bob Dylan documentary by P.A. Pennebacher from 1967, which details his uh, tour uh, of England from 1965, I believe. And it's pretty cool to see a very young Bob Dylan being very, very cool and rock star. (laughs) 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 And also playing some uh, truly great songs that I'm sure everyone loves and enjoys uh so i would recommend those other things and we'll also say that i watched 30 minutes or less which was okay <laughs> and everyone that? what's that everyone hated that movie when it came out it's like the jesse eisenberg movie where uh, danny mcbride and nick swordsman uh like strap a bomb to his chest and force him to rob a bank uh oh. he's a pizza delivery guy that- uh that movie kind of bummed me out because, like, the true story, the guy died. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably, like, why. But uh, devoid of that context, which I didn't have while watching the movie, uh, it was, I don't know. I thought it was entertaining enough, and I do not get why it's so wildly not liked. I don't think mm-hmm. that movie is amazing or great by any chance, but I feel like it was solid 80 minutes of entertainment. Uh, All right. Well, I'll say if I ever die in a horrible tragedy and someone makes a goofy comedy about it, it better be fucking good. (laughs) Better be amazing. It better be Um, nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. All right. So like we said before, um, next week we are not going to go back to the theaters. We're not going to do that until it seems a little safer. Uh, If there's something that's released on streaming, same day, like HBO Max type thing, we might consider it. But right now the plan is for the next few episodes to keep it to movies from the past. Uh, This time we did one of our oldest, possibly our oldest movie ever in 1961. Uh, Next week we are going to 1990. 91. Veronica, what are we watching? We are watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. <laughs> I, until you ended it, I didn't know where you were going. Teenage Mutant Turtle Ninja what? <laughs> uh, the Secret of the Ooze. Ooh. Veronica, you ever seen The Secret of the Ooze before? I have never, so I'm not privy to The Secrets of the Ooze as of yet. I have, but probably not for 25 years. So. Wow. Go, Ninja, go, Ninja, go. Next week (laughs) on Box Office Time Machine. Toot, toot. Toot. (laughs) 